Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio, where we're on a mission to help millennials get intentional in life, business, and career with practical advice and real stories of living with intention, the good, the bad, and lots of the ugly. I'm your host, Jess, and my goal is to flip your perspective on what's possible with the help of the amazing intention getters I get to have as guests. Join my community on Instagram, at Jessica Thiefels, so we can keep these conversations going while supporting one another to stay intentional every day. And finally, if you love this podcast, please subscribe, share, and review. I would greatly appreciate it. I am welcoming Danny Sheriff to the show today. She is a self-love artist who creates illustrations portraying real women. She's also the co-host of the Adulting Advice Podcast and a YouTuber whose mission is to free women's minds from body obsession so they can do their big work. Welcome, Danny. I'm so grateful to have you here with us today. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I love having chats like this. Yes. We're going to have such an important conversation, I feel like, about something that most women struggle with at some point in their life. But before we dive into the juicy stuff, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am Danny. I live in Austin, Texas, but as you can hear from my voice, I'm from Australia. And I basically have been in the diet, nutrition, exercise world for a long, long time now as a participant. And then, you know, professionally, I actually right now work in a nutrition coaching company. And that company has just grown so much from, you know, basically helping people to lose weight to, you know, really shifting into the importance of changing people's relationship with food. So my journey, like in a positive way. And so my journey has been from, you know, being a participant in diet culture all the way through to like starting to see the negative, having a a really negative health experience based on my obsession with diet culture. And then, you know, coming to today where I am just so much more in tune with balance, with letting go of that kind of obsession and in the realm of, of trying to turn people away from diet culture and onto learning about nutrition, learning about exercise in their body, but in more of a mindful, healthful way. So when you introduced me, I talked, you know, my interest is a bit about creating space for people mentally and physically to do their big work. So I just really believe in giving up this grind that so many of us are on to have a certain body that looks a certain way so that we can do the things we were meant to do. And for me, that was be an illustrator and draw and create content for you to like, these are things I love, love, love doing that I gave up that I felt I had to sacrifice in order to like pursue the perfect body. I think I didn't have time for those things anymore. And I really lost that part of myself. So I just am basically completely submerged in the nutrition and wellness space with the, with the angle of like not overdoing it. Basically. <laughs> I love that. I love how you were saying when you were really like in sort of a bad, you had a negative relationship um, or a hurtful relationship with diet and health, you felt like 
you didn't have time to do the things that you loved or you were too focused in other areas. And I actually am coming into this conversation with, you know, for as long as I can remember issues with my body and and struggles with how it looked and trying to make it perfect. And I have a lot of digestive issues as well, which I believe are connected to emotional and, you know, wounds that I'm working on healing um, in addition to just food related issues. But one thing I noticed as I started moving through, like I I had this moment uh, when uh, Ben and I were in Croatia when we traveled last year for nine months or eight months, for some reason, it just sort of like drifted away for like the, the time that we were in Croatia. So we were there for like about a month. For some reason, those body image issues just sort of lifted. And I was noticing how many ideas I was having and how much creativity I felt was like flowing through me. Like I had become a vessel for all of these ideas. And I remember thinking one day, like, this is amazing. Like when my mind is not so clouded with all of these thoughts and fears and worries about my body, all of a sudden I'm able to be open to all of this, these other incredible ideas and these other incredible things. And it was just such an amazing realization that I'd never experienced before. Oh, I love that. Yes. There is this inner child in all of us that we are suppressing because we feel like we need to be, you know, doing these, like for somehow we've been told (laughs) that the thing you need to do as an adult is like nail down on being perfect. And so many of us become so susceptible to that, that yeah, we lose that creative side. Like I love to draw as a kid and I loved, I was one of those kids who like at 13, 14 was like coding websites and, you know, back in the day it was not as easy as it is today. <laughs> website. And I was just doing all of these things and I had these ideas and like little businesses and playing sport and I didn't have time to think about my body and like eating was just a thing to help me do all of those other things. But it really, you know, like you, gets, I got to a point where I realized like the amount of time and energy and thought I'm putting into how to get leaner, how to get more defined looking, how to eat in a certain way so that I'm a perfect person, like it is all consuming. There's something about it that sucks so many of us in unlike anything else. Yeah, Brene Brown has a great quote about how perfectionism is really just shame and how, you know, we, we try to be perfectionist in many ways, and especially with our bodies as a way of avoiding the shame of like being made fun of or getting picked on or making it seem like we're not as good as other people. And that's always like really hit home for me because yes, there's a lot that we, that affects how we treat our bodies. And that's what I'm excited to talk to you um, today about diet culture, because that's obviously one of the biggest, I think, causes of, you know, this sort of like systematic, you know, negative body image thinking that's happening to girls and women worldwide. But interesting to think that a lot of that does come from the inner wounds that we have and and likely the shame that we have. And so we sort of manage that by saying like, oh, if my body's perfect, no one no one can make me feel bad or no one can make me feel embarrassed because like I'm fully in control of this. Um, I think that's a really, was a really powerful realization for me. And not just um, no one can hurt me and all of that good stuff, but also just then people will love me. Then I will be. Mm. For me, it was very much like what 
if when I look a certain way, I'll be worthy of like a certain type of man's attention. I'll be worthy Mm -hmm. of being friends with that group of people. But right now I don't, you know, I don't look the part and it was, it was very hard for me personally. I grew up in a part of Sydney where it just feels like everyone's just like out of straight out of the OC and Mm. And then moving to California and living in a college town, so everyone's college age, and it's just like comparison, 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 and assuming everyone's life is just perfect. And yeah, so you're both trying to get the approval of everyone and trying to like, I don't even, I don't even know. Sometimes I just get in such a head spin about all of it. <laughs> totally. Cause it is, it's such a mind fuck. Like it just, it comes from so many places. It infiltrates so much of our lives. It affects so much of our lives that I feel like, yeah, it can feel like to me, sometimes it feels like politics, you know, like you just can't, you just can't win with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I love, so what I really want to talk about is um, this idea of diet culture. And I'm actually really curious now that you bring it up, what you've noticed in the differences between diet culture in sort of this body obsession in Australia versus here in the U S cause um, it's on, you know, you were in Australia for most of your life. What are, are you, have you noticed some differences or some similarities? Wow. That's an interesting question. There's definitely a lot of similarities. Um, it depends on where you're from. So this is kind of funny, but in, and probably unexpected, the area I grew up in, It was particularly multicultural. So if you go to certain parts of the country there, you'll find it is mostly white people with blonde hair and blue eyes. And just like the the, the stereotypical Australian person. But I actually grew up in like a very immigrant, heavy, you know, first, second, third, fourth generation European, Eastern European area. So I was like very, all of the girls there were very like Kim Kardashian style, Hmm. like, the jet black straight hair and lots and lots of makeup and the the designer brands that was very heavy in the area I grew up in. But then if I was to go just onto the other side of Sydney, up north, Bondi Beach, like people recognize those names, that was very much like the the surfer girl, sandy, blonde hair, blue eyed. So it really depends on where you were and what your ethnicity was as to what your ideals were. I really, really noticed that the variance in, in what is considered beautiful and ideal, like it can look in so many, look so many different ways. And I was very confident back there coming to the U S look, I haven't spent much time here and I didn't grow up here, but some of the things that have really stood out to me, one of my favorite things to bring up to people is like, what's the deal with no school uniforms? We, all wore school uniforms in in high school. And I can look back and say that really helped to like level the playing field, Mm. neutralize us all. We weren't allowed to wear ridiculous amounts of makeup. We weren't allowed to have like insane hair hair cuts, like crazy colors and stuff like that. Um, And we weren't allowed to, yeah, wear anything other than the uniform. And to a lot of people, especially when I tell that to my American friends they're always like oh that sounds so uh, like stifling but I don't think that we felt that way at all because you got to give creative expression in different ways and 
you were, I was like in every single social group and we were all connected. And it was interesting when you saw someone outside of school and you got an idea of who they were, I don't know, like fashionistically or something like <laughs> that. But I just, I really look at the way kids grow up in America and I really feel like when you all don't have to wear a uniform, you can really see like who has more clothes, who has maybe a more affluent family, who has better style and like who is worth teasing. And I just, I think that that probably really affects people uh, long into later in their life. And maybe you can, I don't know, share your thoughts on this, but I really get a vibe of, um, of needing to show status a lot more in the States than than I grew up being used to. I mean, yeah, you're really tapping into like such deep parts of American culture of like, we have our rights and, you know, we are supposed to be individuals. And it's actually funny that you say that because I went to preschool through eighth grade. Um, I went to a private school. And so if you go, I think probably most, if not all private Catholic schools um, or Christian schools have, have a uniform. So I I actually wore a uniform, um, right up until high school, but I agree that it definitely, it definitely uniforms level the playing field. And at a time, like in high school, when you're already so vulnerable and everyone is like learning what is socially acceptable and there's already so much you know, bullying and pushing around and trying to like find your place in the world and in like the hierarchy of school, being able to like, yes, it's nice to be able to show and express yourself through your clothing. But yeah, it definitely, if you only have a few outfits, if you don't have a lot of money or, you know, conversely, the girls who wear, you know, get away with wearing really skimpy clothes and make a certain name for themselves you know, it's interesting to consider the differences between having to wear a uniform and not. And I've never, I didn't realize that about Australia, that you have to wear uniforms. Is that through all of school, like up until college? Well, yeah, yeah. Right till the the whole of high school. There is no, I mean, there's probably a few random like Montessori school types of situations going on when they don't wear a uniform. But you know, the education system there is so different that it almost facilitates not having to wear one. Right. We were all the way up until year 12. And it just, like, as you were talking about how hard it is for kids as it is to assimilate in high school and fit in, like, it's sure it's nice to be able to show your self-expression through your clothes, but like how many kids even really understand that concept? Yeah, right. They're not like... intelligent enough yet I don't know to see past the social status of it all and I just I feel like it's got to have some deep-rooted issues (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely yeah I think that makes total sense I think that's a really really interesting difference to bring up especially when yeah you look at the root of um, body image issues and trying to perfect the way that you look Having been in the U.S. and working for the nutrition company you work for, what have been some of the effects of diet culture that you've noticed? What are some things that you're seeing maybe people in your community experiencing the most? There's just, it really brings out the dark side in people's perfectionism a lot of the time. 
and it creates perfection where it wasn't before. And yes, there is so many benefits to having perfectionistic tendencies. I'm one of those people. It means I've achieved lots of things and I'm a self-starter and I'm very independent. But what I have found is that diet culture is so like, so valued on you getting smaller and when the results are not giving you that you you start to create a problem you start to create a problem in your head judgments why can why am i not able to do this was a big one for me why can i not get smaller Mm. why is it easier for her than it is for me why is it that you know other people aren't struggling and they can go to the party and enjoy the cake and I can't because, you know, I use the word can't because Mm -hmm. it's not on the program because if I go back to my accountability group or partner or coach or whoever, they're going to be upset at me. And, like, there's repercussions to not achieving. Yep. And I think that that's, like, the worst part of it all and that's what I see the most. Yeah. Repercussions to not achieving both. And I I think you make such a a really important point that I actually never thought of before is that these diet communities where they say like, you have this community, like, and you have accountability. I feel like it can be really helpful, but I think it can also be a double-edged sword with the point that you're making, which is like, you feel it's like shaming you into not slipping up. And I say that with air quotes because you know, maybe having a slice of cake, like having one single slice of cake is not going to be the end all be all of your life. Even if you are trying to get healthy for true health reasons, not just for the way that you look, but it's interesting to think how that accountability can become really negative when it sort of holds you back in that way and and forces you to bring shame into the equation where it might not have already been. Yeah. And you bring up a good point about how like, having the cake, even if you're trying to change your eating habits for health purposes, like the soul food part of things is taken out of the equation. Mm. And it's like, how can you make a healthy version of this and a low calorie version of that? And, you know, taking out the important lessons of when it's your, your birthday and you want to have piece of cake like that's okay or if it's your spouse's birthday or if it's friday night and you know you you've had a really long day and you want to have a treat like that is a very demonized situation mm-hmm. and it's wild to me that it's a demonized situation that we're like if you can't also eat a hundred percent quote unquote clean on a Friday night after a long day, you're failing at life or like, right. like that. But it's like live your life. Like, no, it's okay. And so the then the problem that this creates is the binge res- restrict, which we can totally get into. I was a massive binge restrictor and it makes things ten times worse. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about that. What does it look like to be a binge restrictor? How does that affect your body? Right. Well, for me, binge restricting, I believe, is the main culprit behind having hypothalamic amenorrhea. Would your audience know much about what that is? No. Give us, just like, uh, pretend like we don't know what any of this is. Give us the, the full explanation. Yeah. So I got into health and exercise and like, you know, 
work out more, eat less is always better. And the more I can do that, the better. So I never had issues with overeating as a child or anything like that. But when I started to restrict my food, it really showed up for me in a big way. And not everyone has this experience, but many people do. And I also didn't even realize that I had this experience until way later down the track. So I would um, under eat for, I feel like I could do it for like two straight weeks before I cracked. It was like my, my theme. One to two straight weeks. And then I would go to an event and I would overeat. And this, the feedback that I would get from people was just like, you know, try harder. Like it's just a party. Why is it, why is that so, so triggering for you? Why do you struggle so much? And I remember being like, they're so right. I don't understand why this is so hard for me. But now that I'm past that and I can go to the party and if I don't feel like eating all those things, I just don't and it's not a thing, I can see now in hindsight that I had a problem. So what happened was being in a constant calorie deficit caused me to be extremely hungry by the end of the week. Um, and be extremely food focused and be always thinking about what my next meal is going to be, be always hungry still after that meal. And it wouldn't be long before I would just like freak out or something Mm. or just be face to face with a bowl of chips and just go for it. And then as a result of going through that, well, screw it. Mentality comes in and I go for the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, I'm, Next thing you know, I've made myself sick on overeating. And that's the binge and restrict Mm -hmm. side of things. Got it. With the hypothalamic amenorrhea is the absence of a period due to stress, which is typically under eating and overexercising, a combination of the two. And then also just general life stress. So... I was doing all of those things, right? I was like, I was working seven days a week. I actually had my own business. So I was working seven days a week and I was under eating and going to the gym all the time. But because I was binging every week or every weekend, I wasn't losing the weight like many other people who have an eating disorder tendencies might. I never became really like textbook thin and so it wasn't, no, like people weren't you know, worried about me. Doctors weren't concerned. No one had anything to say about what was going on. And so I believe that that caused me to lose my period. So that's the result of hypothalamic amenorrhea. All of that stress comes together and you no longer have a reproduction, reproductive system. It's just like, girl, you're in survival mode. This is the last thing we need to be worrying about right now. We're not going to ovulate. We're not going to bleed. So I just didn't care because it was convenient for one. <laughs> the second part, I didn't understand the gravity of, not, of what not having a period actually meant. A lot of us think that it's like an optional extra on a car, like the air conditioner, like it works independently of everything else and the car still functions or so whatever. That's not the case. Like you need you need your period for so many other reasons. And it wasn't until I slowly started realizing that, that I started becoming more interested in what was happening in my body and was diagnosed with hypothalamic amenorrhea. But the point of that is just to say, 
I thought that I was failing at dieting because I was binging and restricting and I wasn't losing weight. So I was, I was never, I was always dieting, but like, why wasn't it working? And the thing was that I was never truly in a calorie deficit for a long enough period of time, I suppose is a part of it mixed with other things like my hormones, my body probably just storing fat every time I got the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But really like I was in a calorie deficit long enough to stress my body out, but not long enough to lose weight. So Mm -hmm. I went undetected. I had hypothalamic amenorrhea. I was binging and restricting. Life was not good. Wow. And how how long ago was that? I have been, they say you recover. You recover from hypothalamic amenorrhea for... Um, honestly, only about a year and a half. And you've, you've recovered though in the time period? I have recovered, but I do consider myself still in recovery because I'm still very sensitive to mm-hmm. it and I still lose my period very easily if I stray from the protocol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible too that like, you can do, you can put your body in this place and maybe still not lose weight. And you're like, and so you think like, I'm doing everything they say to do. Like I'm following diet culture. Like, why am I still not good enough? You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like that's why binging and anorexia is so, so dangerous because, you know, we're doing it to sort of fit in with this culture. And, you know, it's not even like there's a defined way that you're supposed to look other than like as thin as possible. And so you just keep pushing your body and keep pushing your body. And then like for you, you know, these really drastic things go undetected because your body is being so incredible and working so hard for you that, you know, a typical doctor or medical professional might not even notice. And you're obviously not going to tell them. That's, that's incredible. I'm so glad that you're, you're in recovery and you're feeling better and working through it. It's, it's really scary stuff. Thank you. Can we talk about maybe some other, so I'm, I'm imagining listeners listening to this and saying, well, I haven't lost my period and, and I don't binge. Um, you know, I, I care about what my body looks like. I want to be thin. I don't think I have a problem though. Can you give us some other examples or like, you know, symptoms of body obsession that people who are really obsessed with their bodies may be exhibiting and not realizing that it's, um, you know, potentially dangerous tendency? Yes. I'm really glad that you went with this. Um, I wanted to ask your audience just to take a step and be like, okay, so if none of this sounds like you, ask yourself though, you know, what might you be ignoring? And you don't have to answer it right now. This is one of those things that if you keep that question in your mind over the next couple of weeks, you might start to notice things and be like, oh, am I ignoring that? Am I ignoring that I'm not sleeping very well? Mm. Am I ignoring that my skin is kind of dry and my eyes are like crusty or that my nails are breaking way more easier than they used to or my hair is breaking or it just like looks meh, doesn't look as as full and glowing as it as I want it to. And are you just attributing things like that to age or like, this is just the way I am? Because I can tell you when you start to step away from your restriction habits, you notice these things come back, your skin come back to life. Your 
maybe you have like a bad breath problem or a mm. beer problem. Like these little tiny things that you think are just you are so often connected. So keeping an eye on that kind of thing is really a really big one. And the other thing is for your soul, and this is a huge one for me and I already touched on, but are you finding time to live your life? Mm. I honestly thought that I had just outgrown my old interests. I was just an adult now. And I thought that I wasn't allowed to do those things anymore because I had to be focused on dieting and exercise and nutrition. And I told myself that this was a true passion of mine. So I don't want to offend anyone, (laughs) but I actually think food and diet and nutrition is like, is an interesting topic, but I feel like, I feel like the amount of people who claim it as their all consuming passion and purpose in life, I think there's a few too many of them to be, for that to be likely. And I want you to ask yourself, like, am I convincing myself that this is what is most important because this level of dedication to how I look is what society has told me is the responsible thing and the correct thing for me to do. Because I think that maybe you're suppressing something that you wish you could be doing instead. And you might also have that show up in the sense of like, how do you treat your partner? I found I was more like grumpy and irritable and a part of me was like, well, I guess the the spark is fading, but actually I was just tired and grumpy and irritable. Why is that happening? You know, how about going to see your friends? Are you just like too tired all the time? Do you really resonate with being a homebody? Um, But think maybe deep inside you would like to be more extroverted because so much of your energy is being (laughs) is being suppressed when you're stuck on that diet hamster wheel you are so much more tired than you even know like I forgot how much energy I forgot how it felt to have energy until I got through all that stuff and started to recover so yeah like keeping an eye on those lifestyle factors, on those things that you're attributing to just age or it just being you and really sitting down with a pen and paper and, and writing down all of the things in your life that you think would be fun and you would love to be doing, but that you're allowing yourself to not do because you want to prioritize diet and how you look. And I think that a lot of people listening are going to think this all sounds wild who, how many people are really like quitting their life to go diet full time? But oh my gosh, it's so many people. And probably if you're the one thinking that, it's probably because this conversation's triggering you. And that means it's probably something you need to look at, something you need to consider. I love, I love those sort of symptoms and also ways to get intentional about intentional about moving past the body obsession about healing what's happening so you know asking more questions writing down things that you love to do and considering how much of that you're not doing anymore how much of how much time you could be using to do that and instead you're using to work out would you say there do you have any other um, tips or steps people can take to 
to be, to get sort of start getting intentional about addressing their body obsession challenges outside of what we've already mentioned here? Yeah. So if this is a brand new concept to you, because I remember the first time someone ever said to me, well, the first time I heard on a podcast, someone say to someone else that like, you know, you can be healthier in a normal sized body. Like this whole diet thing is ridiculous. I remember thinking this person has no idea. Like I thought that person was an idiot, which is wild, but that, that's how brainwashed I honestly was. I didn't even realize it. So one of the first things, if you, this is a whole new concept to you is just to go and like listen and consume content from people who are explaining that you don't have to obsess about your body. No one's going to force you to make any changes. You're just really introducing this concept into your consciousness. And I think that that's so important. You can't rush into this. It's, it's too hard. (laughs) There's a couple of, there's like so many different podcasts and doing a purge of your social media as well. And anyone who is just like really reinforcing unrealistic expectations on you, I think purging those people and just filling your feed with interesting new perspectives on what health and wellness means. Those are some great first places to start. There are some awesome support groups and programs out there for all different types of situations. So you don't have to say like, oh, I have a problem with binge restrict or like with body dysmorphia and so I'm going to find a specific group for that. No. My strategy was to find other things that... So my example is I started to use the fertility awareness method for tracking my fertility and joined a hypothalamic amenorrhea support group. And those groups don't talk about like screw diet culture and like don't, they don't work you through eating disorders or anything like that. They just are people to support you doing whatever you need to do to fix your fertility, for example. So I didn't have anyone in my face about my beliefs. I just had people there like encouraging me when I got my next period or encouraging me when I was letting them know, like, I, I don't know if this kind of thing is going to work for me. So finding like the thing, the support group that works for you and being open to what that could be is really helpful. And there's, I mean, Facebook is just full of groups there's people all over the internet creating communities. So you find the one that works for you and just like dive in and be active. And I think that those are the best places to start at the moment online. And then the one that's really important, if you have a partner um, and if you have good friends, you need to enroll them in this change when you're ready to, to say, Hey, yeah, I think I want to step out of, this obsession and I want to be more um, open about what my ideas of health and what my wellness ideals are, you need to go to your friends and say like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And it's going to be really like, it's kind of hard for me to move past these ideals, but I would love your support. And that looks like, you know, whatever support looks like to you. So for me, it was 
not making comments about other people's bodies in my presence. It was not obsessing about yourself, your own body, not making comments about um, how, you know, fat you think you got over the weekend. Like I need you to be more mindful about those types of comments around me. And to my partner, I would love for you to question me when you think maybe I'm doing something that's running back in the other direction. Like, mm. am I saying no to um, a second serving of dinner or to a certain portion because I'm freaking out about how much I've eaten this week or today? And having those people on board, giving them permission to support you and question you is really helpful. And it's a great place to get them to start also questioning those beliefs for themselves. Because what we really want to do is uh, make change for everyone. So there's a yeah, I, I love the, the, I love all of them, but I especially really love the last one about bringing in your significant other or, you know, your best friend or your close knit group of friends for two reasons. One, uh, well, I guess three reasons, but uh, the first being, you know, we are, you know, we are who we surround ourselves with. So if you're surrounding yourself with people who are aware of this and are willing to work toward a healthier life with you, then you're just going to be better off for it. Secondly, the accountability of it and the non-judgmental accountability of like your partner just knowing that this is something you're working on and maybe giving you sort of like loving and kind reminders as maybe you're having a challenging day or maybe you're you're you know tempted to not eat something as you're prepping for a wedding or something. And the third being that it gives you a chance to really say what you need. Um, and I think, you know, when you're restricting what you're eating or you're overeating or whatever, whatever that looks like for you, you're ignoring your needs, really. You're ignoring what your body needs and you're just forcing something to happen. Um, and I love the idea of stepping into a place where you're saying, this is what I need. This is how I need it. So you're really able to finally, you know, empower yourself to say, I'm taking care of me and this is how you can help me do that. So I really like that suggestion. I haven't really heard many people talk about that. And I think it's probably one of the more powerful things you can do if you're trying to recover or, you know, shift out of body obsession. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's probably the most important. I should have let off with it really, but <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm glad we worked up to it. Well, this has been super helpful. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for sharing your personal story and getting super vulnerable with us. I know that really helps us just like connect with you and understand where you're coming from. So I really appreciate that. Can you, is there anything else that you want to mention before I give you my last two questions of the interview? Yeah, I want to just let everyone know that um, when I was really chasing thinness and what I was really chasing was the acceptance and love from everyone else and part of the frustration of the whole thing was that it wasn't working and um when I started to recover and I became quite vocal about what I was doing I sort of decided to go all in and be like hey everyone I have a period and this is why and I just want you all to know as a bit of an awareness piece and it wasn't until I started gaining weight and being open and honest about um, how I felt and 
that kind of thing that I actually started to get the love and acceptance that I was after. Mm. So that's just a bit of a tidbit of like, it might be scary to move away from diet culture, but I actually want to guarantee you that you're going to, you're going to gain a lot more from it and you're going to gain the things you thought diet culture were giving you. You're going to gain those if you go in the opposite direction. And I just wanted to share that. I love that. I love that. It's such an, such an important point to make and something that I know probably many people who are currently, you know, obsessed with their body and maybe having some unhealthy habits, you know, I feel like it's easy to resist that statement that you've just made. But anyone who's feeling resistant to it, I want to encourage you to just look compassionately and curiously at that resistance rather than looking critically at it. So instead of saying like, why can't I believe that? That's stupid. You know, maybe questioning, hmm, I wonder why that's really challenging for me to believe. What, what does that mean? And then maybe pull out your journal and just start writing down some words, some feelings that are coming up as you think about that. Um, and just let it sit. Let it bubble under the surface because the answers will start revealing themselves to you if you just stay curious and compassionate to yourself, with yourself, as you move through this process, which I, you know, may, will probably be very challenging. But, you know, as Danny said, there's the light at the end of the tunnel if you're willing to, to do the work and accept the support and become aware of those things. So thank you again for sharing that. My second to last question for you is, what is your current intention getter story? What are you working on right now? I am actually illustrating a body positive children's book at the moment. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I have a client who has been getting commissions from me for a long time and she came to me and she was like, this is the book I'm writing. And it's, um, it's called my mommy's belly Mm. and it, yeah, we're in the middle of illustrating it. So I don't know when it's going to come out, but yeah, it's really cool drawing these like children's pictures of mums with, you know, postpartum bodies and like the, and just the children and the family and everyone embracing it as kind of like a teaching opportunity from a young age. So that's my intention project at the moment. I love that. Oh, definitely, definitely keep me posted whenever that comes out. I would love to share it. That sounds like such a an amazing book. And so in, an important point that we didn't even really touch on much here, which is that there's such a lack of education about this from an early age and a lack of body accept- acceptance from an early age or like the direct discussion of it. And, you know, books like that are only going only gonna to help us shift away from diet culture as a society as a whole. So it's, that's such an incredible project. Yeah. Thanks. It's a loaded subject, so it's hard yeah. to touch on everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, last question. Where can the listeners find you and connect with you online? Yeah, awesome. So I'm at Danny Sheriff, D-A-N-I and Sheriff, like the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where you can find my art and where you can chat to me in the DMs. I'm most, I'm most active there. And I have a podcast with my partner in crime, Hannah. We have one called adulting advice and we talk about all these kinds of issues as well we also do interviews and we also chat about like adulting things right budget working with friends entrepreneurialism all that's good stuff and so you can find us there and those are really my two oh and i'm on youtube also danny sheriff so 
wherever you find me, you'll find the rabbit hole of my I love it. Well, thank you again so much, Danny. It's been such a great conversation. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in yet again. I hope that you tune in for another episode of Mindset Reset Radio, and I will be talking to you soon.